0: The wonderful thing about it is that you really the scientific method uses human nature against itself. It actually uses the confirmation bias of other scientists who would like to prove you wrong and forces you all to confront evidentiary standards and to do it publicly and to come to a conclusion and and if that firestorm is unable to dislodge a hypothesis then it grows in strength. Um, It is exactly what you said, It's it's the confidence in this process because of what it's yielded, because of what it's been able to achieve in terms of understanding the world.
1: me.
2: Bart Campolo.
1: Hey everybody, welcome to the show. I'm if this is your first time you are in luck cuz this is going to be the shortest introduction I ever do before a conversation. And the reason is if in case you haven't picked up on all the ambient noise in the background I'm actually tucked away in the Cincinnati International Airport waiting to get on a flight to go visit my parents in Philadelphia and I looked ahead at the calendar and realized this was my only shot to record this introduction which I wanted to do because I want to share this conversation that I'm about to have with Dale McGowan and Jeff Haley who wrote a book about sharing called sharing reality how to bring secularism and science to an evolving religious world, which if I was titling their book, which I read, I would probably subtitle it something more like a more promising approach to conversations between believers and non-believers, which is a huge concern to a lot of the people that I talk with, especially some of the people that I'm counseling these days who are in interfaith relationships and uh, or interfaith families we kind of live in an interfaith world and so we've all got to get better at having conversations and I think that these guys offer some really interesting approaches to finding common ground um, around this idea of reality which uh, reminds me of my friend Michael Dowd who always says that we need to be in that that we need to be in right relationship with reality you know sort of echoing being in right relationship with God because he sort of says hey if you want if you want to learn to talk with believers in a really constructive way, you've got to use some of that kind of ancient language and some of those wonderful images that have been generated over thousands of years. And uh, so yeah, I think Michael Dowd's onto something. I think Pete Rollins is onto to something, but I, I think you're really gonna like this conversation between me and Jeff and Dale, and uh, I'm not gonna. I'm not going to gussy it up anymore. Let's get to it. I'll give you the details on the other side. In some ways, you guys are evangelists. You're, you're showing up with, or, 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 or almost your evangelism trainers, except you're not trying to get people to evangelize people for Jesus or for Muhammad or even for atheism. You're, you're trying to evangelize people into a new way of ta- – you're trying to say, hey, there's a way of talking that
2: will enable us to stop talking past each other. Uh, yes, and a way of thinking and understanding reality that will enable people to have a better grasp of reality. And so if somebody said to you
1: – well, I mean I guess the first question is how did you guys get together on this, around this idea? Whose idea was it?
0: Uh, well, it was Jeff's idea. This was his project initially, and he wanted to have a collaborator. He wanted to have somebody that he'd work with. And he had seen some of my writing, some of my work online, and felt that we were coming from a similar position, which I think is absolutely true. And uh, he reached out to see if I wanted to cooperate on the project, and I certainly did. And that was the beginning of it. And and in your in, in your I, regular life, do you... Like, I think
1: of you as like a counselor guy. Is that what you, is that what you are?
0: (laughs) That's, that's interesting. Um, I think it can come across that way publicly. Mm -hmm. And the fact is that I, um, I think there's a, an implication of uh, kind of connectedness and gregariousness that I don't see in myself in the same way. I wanna, I wanna help with the insights that I've got, but most of the time, I'm an introvert, a guy working on his uh, computer, working on books, working on ideas, and that sort of thing. And the um, the idea that I'm sort of reaching out on an individual level and counseling uh, is, I, I don't think that's really a part of what I end up doing. Uh, it's more of that. Um, you know, putting ideas out there that I think can be more broadly helpful. That's the idea. Gotcha.
1: And, and, and Jeff, I don't know what you like. You're a scientist. You're a lawyer. And you're an inventor. So like which when, when you when you go out and meet somebody at a cocktail party and they say, what are you? What, what, what's your what's your quick answer?
2: It depends on the audience, of course. Uh, usually I say I'm an inventor because that's the topic that's most relevant to most of the people in the room. Um, but, uh, I, I've worked on various issues of trying to help humanity move forward at various stages in my life. And since, uh, 2001, September of 2001, I've been most interested in how people develop their ideas and decide what is important to them and what they want to put their energies into. And, uh. Dale commented about labeling and pigeonholing, creating problems for people to get along. Uh, I would comment that uh, not being able to separate facts from non-facts is, uh, is a big challenge for people. And if they could separate the facts from the non-facts, they would have a lot fewer conflicts and problems.
1: So help me, help, help me understand that because I feel like I live in a world where I know the difference between a fact and an opinion or a fact and a story. But the, the more I read, the more, the more suspect that becomes.
2: So for example, when you say Alice murdered John, is that a fact or is that a, is that a statement of value?
1: Well, it feels like a fact, but I know it's a statement of value. So I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna cheat. But like, I guess, I guess what you would say is like, John is dead Alice was there, um,
2: but like, I don't, I, I, Alice, the, Alice pulled right. the trigger. Those were all the word facts. murdered,
1: it sort of has to do with motives and situations that I don't know about.
2: Yeah, it's, it's values that society places on actions that took place and says, based on those actions, we conclude as a matter of values that it was murder or that it was not, that it was mercy killing. Or that it was not that it was a justifiable act of war, uh, whatever that society concludes. But those are all values, not facts. And so,
1: how do you guys, in your how do you how do you propose that we help people have better conversations about facts?
2: Uh, well, one of them is to understand that the word "believe" is used both for values and for facts. So, when a person says uh, I believe in hard work. Is that a fact or a value? Well, that's all values. And, uh, and so when people use the word believe, you have to think carefully about where are the facts and where are the values that they're talking about because it's, we use that word for both.
1: Okay. So my, my, I guess my bottom line question is, I know there's one word that you want people to start using that nobody uses right now. And that word is evidest. Yes, and and I want you to like and even even having read your book, I would like I I I'm still not entirely clear. I'm sure I'm using the word evidist right, but like I think what you would tell me is that I am an evidist, aren't I? Uh,
2: well, if once we've separated out the facts from the non-facts, we then know that for the facts, we all have intuitive. Uh, understandings that we start with, and 90% of the time that's fine, but every once in a while, uh, science has an answer and says, no, you're wrong about your understanding of those facts. And if you're an avidist, if you accept the scientific way of knowing, you're happy to replace your intuitive understanding, or whatever understanding you have, wherever you got it, with the scientific understanding as to those particular facts. That's the essence of being an avidist.
1: So, if I'm understanding this, I'm standing in the middle of a football field. It's entirely flat. I look. I'm in Nebraska. I look to the horizon. It seems like the entire world is flat, and like it feels to me like a fact that the world is flat. But at some point, a scientist comes to me and says, "I know this is going to shock you, but you're standing on a on a round planet." And is is that one of those cases where I need to not trust my intuitive understanding?
2: Yes. Well, once that asserted fact by the scientist is corroborated with sufficient uh, peer review, yes, you do. That's exactly right. And
1: do you guys think that most people
2: don't do that? Um, I don't know about most, but large numbers of people don't do that. And when they don't do that, it often creates conflict. And that's what the book is about.
1: Now, now. I'm just thinking about the flat earth, because there was a time when everyone thought the earth was flat, and then now there's a time where almost nobody except Kyrie Irving of the Boston Celtics thinks the earth is flat. (laughs) Are are, are you guys familiar with Kyrie Irving of the Boston Celtics? Yes, because of this.
2: (laughs) Here are two things that each person can do. Take an airplane ride that goes up high enough and look out at the horizon and you can see that it's round. Two, take a bunch of airplane rides and fly around the world.
1: Okay. Yeah. No, I, 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 okay. You've won me over. I'm, I'm, I'm abandoning Kyrie. The world is round.
2: Um, Or you could also do the one that was done by ancient Greeks, uh, before the time of Christ, where you, uh, put a pole, uh, on, uh, vertically. And look at the size of its shadow, and then you travel north or south, and you put a pole vertically and look at the size of its shadow, and you can see that the Earth is round in that distance. Okay, so
1: so an evidist would be somebody who would say, once you prove a fact to me, once or what, th- th- that once you scientifically prove a fact to me, I just accept it,
2: right? Well, it's not a matter of individual. Individuals proving to individuals. It's a matter of the collective body of scientific work reaching a consensus that certain facts are the best knowledge we have today. And if it has passed peer review, if it has achieved scientific consensus, it's hubris to say, well, I don't think that's right, even though all the scientists say it's right, I think it's something else. Well, you just haven't yet learned enough about human nature. If you think that your own personal judgment is better than the collective judgment of thousands of other people who've worked really hard to figure it out.
1: Okay. Now, Dale. Yes. I know your wife. For for a time in your marriage, because I read your book. For a time in your marriage, you were a non-believer, and your wife was a Christian.
0: That's correct. Yeah. We
1: we during that time, would you have considered which. Would you have considered her an evidence like was she if you brought her a scientifically reviewed fact was she like okay if the scientists say it's a fact it's a fact i'm going with it
0: oh absolutely yeah there wasn't really any substantial um daylight between our positions on that kind of thing Um, i think what a lot of this comes down to and what it certainly came down to for us was uh, in terms of scientific questions uh, if i haven't done the measurements myself If I haven't looked at the evidence myself, what I can do is recognize that a method is being used, a method in which I have reason to have confidence. The scientific method of interrogating reality is something that has shown uh, tremendous results. It's been able to achieve great things. And I recognized that and she recognized that despite being uh, uh, in different worldview descriptions, believer and non-believer. Um, And so when someone tells me or tells her the world is round and they say this is what we've arrived at by following the scientific method, by following this experimental method and uh, rigorous observation and measurement and peer review and all the things that go into it, then on the basis of that I can say, you know what, I can accept that pending additional information Because I recognize that that's a system that um, has been extraordinary in its abilities to interrogate reality. Um, So we were not um, in measurably different places regarding that. Our differences were uh, up in the abstractions of theology. And that's a lot of the point that I tried to make in that book. And a lot of the point, really, that Jeff and I are making as well. That we make too much of the differences of labels and worldviews and so on when there are actually an awful lot of people like my wife um, who are allies in in all of those important ways and simply differ on, frankly, relatively small questions like whether God exists. That's <laughs> in, in real terms, that's not something that um, is as important to, to human flourishing as a lot of other questions. And, and can I assume that I, I,
1: I can see where the God existing question would be, In a sense, outside the realm, because, you know, there's no scientist in the world who's saying I've got an absolute proof for God not existing. Um, So so what about Jesus rising from the dead? Do you feel like an evidence could still believe that like that somebody could say, hey, I trust the scientific method, but there's no scientific reason not to believe that Jesus rose from the dead after three days in the tomb.
2: Uh, We've got to start by talking about proof. You said the word proof. Um, All of scientific consensus, uh, there is some doubt with respect to all facts uh, uh, on which there is a scientific consensus other than logic and mathematics because all the facts, none none of the facts are known to 100% certainty. There is always some small doubt. And so, for example, when the scientists say, butter is unhealthy, you should eat margarine. I'm going back to the 50s now. And then later on they say, oh, we were wrong. Butter is healthy, you should not eat margarine. Uh, each time they said each of those statements, it wasn't 100% certainty. It was, there. we have enough evidence that butter is harmful for you, that on balance, it's your, your risk is lower if you re- reduce your consumption of butter. But it's not a hundred percent certain that that's right, it's just more likely than not. And all the time scientific judgment is made based on probabilities. And when you ha- when somebody says, well I think that X is a fact, And you can find zero evidence in support of X and lots of models of the rest of reality that say, well, that can't be right, otherwise the rest of our model of reality is wrong. Well, then you don't go with it until you have enough evidence to make it at least more likely than not, or better yet, 80% likely, or better yet, 90% likely. Or what they use in in medical science mostly is 95% likely.
0: Yeah, I I think that's right. And... um I would add that the question you raised is one that requires proving a negative. Uh, You know, how can I be certain that Jesus did not rise from the dead? And uh, in fact, that's a, the resurrection is a positive claim. Uh, And the person making that positive claim, if you are an evidest, you have to say why it is that you believe this is true. What's your evidence? And then we can assess that evidence. So if someone says, I think it's true because my mom told me that, or because a minister told me that, or I read it in the Bible, then you can talk about the issues with those various sources. And the reason an extraordinary claim, like this mortal man overcame death and was resurrected and lives forever in in another realm, um, is not sufficiently supported by that kind of chain of evidence. And if you are really an evidist, if you are really somebody who has said, I'm really trying to figure the world out, I really want to know what's real, then you have to be willing to engage in that conversation when you make a positive claim. And that's the kind of thing that can happen across these lines once we've identified that shared value from the beginning.
1: And how do you, how do you guys in your conversation, like it, it, as you imagine people chain, reading your book, you know, I think we all, anyone who writes a book sort of has this thought, people will read this book and it will change their behavior in some way or will change their thinking in some way. In this case, I feel like there's a way that you want somebody to, to encounter somebody else. There's a way you want them to engage somebody where they say, hey, we seem to be coming from different places, but like, let's set up some ground rules for the conversation. What would be the ground rules that you would say would be a really great set of ground rules for people that are coming at a conversation from different places?
2: Uh, I'll let Dale try to answer that, but before I will uh, comment on closing the loop on the last topic that Dale was talking about, an evidence does not say, I believe there is no God. It does not say, I know God doesn't exist. Uh, An evidest does not say, I know Jesus did not rise from the dead. He just says, each of those seems so unlikely, the evidence for them is so weak that I don't uh, affirmatively believe it. I don't take any action or refrain from any action on the possibility that it might be true. Right. It's it's not. It's it's not. We know there is no God. It's we don't have much evidence for a God and uh and on the evidence we have so far we don't make any action or refrain from any action yeah that's my justin bieber that's my
1: justin bieber millionaire thing where i always say to people like i you know i i know that there is a possibility that god exists and that jesus christ rose from the dead i said you know there's also a possibility that justin bieber deposited 10 million dollars in a swiss bank account with my name on it um but it's so unlikely now, I have no evidence that that's the case. I mean, it could happen, but I have no evidence that it's the case. And so I don't actually make any decisions based on having $10 million. Um, and I guess it's, it's that sort of the same thing. So, so exactly. but when, when you got like some of this stuff, you know, is, is a bunch of people like you and me sort of congratulating ourselves for being, you know, science based in our thinking are evidence-based in our thinking. But what I'm really interested in with you guys, like this is like, if I get nothing else out of this conversation, what I'm trying to get to is, is how do you want me to talk to people differently? How do you want me to engage people differently? Then, because I sense that you wrote this book because you feel like there's, there's a, a way that people are engaging each other that isn't helpful and that is harming the world. And you want them to engage differently. And I want to know like, What do you want me to do
0: differently?
2: I could give you three or four or five things, but I'll let Dale start. Yeah, I would
0: definitely say to draw a really shocking parallel to religion is to uh, approach the conversation by saying we are all sinners. And instead of the religious conception of sin, what we're really talking about is bias. In intellectual terms, I am biased. When I approach a question, I am as likely as anyone else to approach it with confirmation bias in my way. I'm the biggest obstacle to figuring the world out for myself because my preferences are going to assert themselves. What I have to then do is that the next step is to assert a value that helps me overcome that. And that is this this value of critical thinking, of wanting to, wanting to know what's real. It's really just that simple for me. I recognized when I was really young, I just, I heard all these conflicting hypotheses about the world, about what was true. And I genuinely wanted to cut through that. I wanted to figure out what was actually going on in the world. Wait,
1: wait, wait, because you said value. And all of a sudden I I thought like, I, the value would be, I want to know what's real, but it was to be so valuable more than I want to be right or I want to I want to be confirmed in my knowledge like I want to know what's real it's exactly right. more than I want to be right
0: yes that's exactly it and okay. to recognize that my inclination hasn't gone away one of the problems I think that we often bring that the science minded often bring into the conversation is this the slight implication that we've somehow conquered our bias you know, that we don't have that human tendency anymore because we're science-minded. And the fact is the bias is still always there. We have to continually assert a higher value and say that more than the things that I want to be true, uh, to be the case, more than the things I want to be the case, um, I have to say the things that are the case have to, have to um, I almost said Trump. I can't even use that word anymore. Um, They have to override um, my natural tendencies. And if we can recognize that in each other, if we can look at somebody who is Christian or Muslim or whatever it is, and this is another person who's saying, yes, I'm really trying to figure the world out. I really want to know what's real. And I have arrived at this other set of conclusions. And then we can talk about the evidence that's led each of us to those conclusions because if we recognize the shared value we don't have to be afraid of each other we don't have to say that it's your confirmation bias against mine instead we lay out this common ground and say we're both gonna have a conversation in which i'm excited if i can find out i'm wrong you know i'm really interested to know if i'm wrong
1: so in a sense you want me to show up confessionally and go like look we're all biased i'm biased You know, I have a confirmation bias. I have a tendency to see the world as not as it is, but as I am, (laughs) you know. Um, And so I but I but in this conversation, Freddie, I'm going to really try. I really want to know what's real even more than I want to be right. So since you think differently than me, what I'm going to ask you to do is is to tell me why you think like tell me on, on what basis do you think the way you think? Like, where's what? would it be fair to say, I'm going to ask you to show me the evidence that, that supports your idea? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. And I think and that I- conversation proceeds on a whole different basis if it starts with that acknowledgement that I also have bias uh, and that I'm trying to overcome that. That's the kind of thing that can get people talking. And that's the kind of thing if you do too often. Yeah, you've
1: got to admit to your own first too. You can't be like I'm objective, you're not. Let's talk.
0: Oh, exactly. And the other the other thing I'll run into once in a while is the, you know, the statement, the idea of. Uh, I have a Catholic friend who every once in a while will uh, say, "You have too much faith in scientists. Uh, you think that they are infallible," and I have to say repeatedly that. Um, Every scientist is the same bundle of biases and uh, flaws as anyone else. But these are people who have signed on to a project, signed on to a system of thinking that won't allow them to wallow in their biases. It forces them really, to put their ideas. You idea don't
1: really believe in scientists. You believe no. in the scientific process. That's exactly Whereby it. a bunch of biased scientists you know in a sense set out to prove each other wrong and so they ultimately end up with you know it's you believe in the process that leads to kind of like a group conclusion rather than any one scientist going like i trust that dude or i trust that
0: woman exactly that's exactly it and the the wonderful thing about it is that you're really the scientific method uses human nature against itself it actually uses the confirmation bias of other scientists who would like to prove you wrong and forces you all to confront evidentiary standards and to do it publicly and to come to a conclusion. And, and if that firestorm is unable to dislodge a hypothesis, then it grows in strength. Um, it is exactly what you said. It's the, it's the confidence in this process because of what it's yielded, because of what it's been able to achieve in terms of understanding the world.
1: Listen, I know know you're not Kyrie Irving fans, but you really ought to be Philadelphia 76ers fans right now. (laughs) And I'll tell you why. Because years ago, the Sixers decided that they were a bad team they were going to rebuild. So they, they on purpose tanked for like five years in a row to amass draft choices. And so in the middle of their losing so that they could then amass a bunch of draft choices and get a bunch of good players all at once, they coined the phrase. They said, this is the process and you've got to trust the process and now in Philadelphia at every game they will chant trust the process
0: no kidding
1: and that's you that's yeah so yeah. I mean I'm, I'm serious you guys trust the process is what you're saying yeah okay so now I've got one more question ostensibly I, like I I I have enough close friends who are men and women of faith and 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 in some cases I think that if I went to them and said look We're all biased. And so, but I want to know what's real even more than I want to be right. And if you feel the same way, then what I'm going to say is like, let's bring out our evidence. And I feel like some of them would say to me, relying on evidence is the opposite of living by faith. And they have a value on trusting God in spite of. Like it's almost like they think that God will like you better if you don't try to prove it. Have you encountered that yourselves? Oh yeah,
0: constantly. Uh, And the fact, what's your response to it? Well, this the conversation that we're trying to have is one that recognizes that evidists exist in many different worldviews, but it doesn't necessarily mean we'll be able to reach everyone. uh, That we'll be able to reach people who don't share that value. Uh, It's not an immediate silver bullet for all um, conversations. Um, If someone is convinced of that, it's basically what you do in a retreat position. Um, Religious assertions have been in retreat for hundreds of years now. And as it's retreated into the gaps, the God of the gaps um, situation, um, it started to invoke this idea of um, faith, being more important than reason. That's actually a relatively, um, in historical terms, it's a relatively new idea. Prior to that, it was considered reason and faith were considered to be compatible with some exceptions, Martin Luther and all that. Um, But uh, that's, uh, if someone is entrenched in that position, that is really an ultimate confirmation bias uh, position. They are determined to come to a particular conclusion and so they're throwing out the system that comes to the, the most reliable conclusions in order to cling to what their confirmation bias prefers. That's not necessarily somebody who's going to be amenable to this conversation, but the person sitting next to them frequently in the pew or another family member or an, a friend um, is gonna potentially have a different relationship to uh, this question of reason and faith. And we'll be reachable on those terms and say, you know what, I believe in God. I believe Jesus rose from the dead and all that. But I also think I'm a person who wants to know the truth. Let's talk. You know, let's see um, how we can do. That's the person that we're going to have this conversation with. We may not be able to reach the other person you're describing.
1: Yeah. Well, it's, it's so funny. I mean, I just came back from Canada a few months ago where I, I was in a dialogue with a guy named Sean McDowell. And he and his father are both very heavy-duty Christian apologists. And they – Sean's dad's famous book was called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. And that's their case. Their case is, hey, if you look carefully at the evidence surrounding Christianity, you will see that it is kind of demonstrably true. And it sounds like you would say, hey, now there's a person I can have a conversation with. Yeah. Okay.
2: Uh, If they are genuinely open to reviewing the evidence – and looking at the scientific way of determining what evidence is valid and acceptable, fine. But I suspect they aren't. I suspect that that their uh, analysis is: we're starting with a conclusion, and we're going to prove that it's right with our own way of evaluating evidence, and we won't accept the scientific way of evaluating evidence.
1: You know, it, it's interesting. I'm not sure that's true. I mean, I, 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 I because. Um, you know, th- these these are folks that really pride themselves on sort of like bring me anything I can, you know, like throw it all at me. I, I I think they're convinced that they're that they're they're they do have a conclusion in mind again. But like as Dale said, don't we all start out with something that we want to confirm, whether we know it or not?
2: We do, but in the scientific process, where you have thousands of people working on the same problem and reaching a consensus. Um, that is designed to eliminate the bias of any one individual. And if the authors of the book you just mentioned have a uh, a, a consensus of a large number of, of scientifically-minded people, people who are doing their best to apply the uh, scientific method, and they all say, yeah, their evidence is right, this is the right conclusion based on the evidence, and it's more than 50%... Likely or more than ninety percent likely or more than ninety nine percent likely then uh that'd be pretty persuasive so so at
1: this stage in the game, have you guys have either of you sort of i don't know test driven this where you've set where where you where there's somebody in your life who you've struggled to have a relate you know struggled to have a good conversation about stuff with and you've gone to them and said like hey step one, you know, we're all biased. Can we just, can we agree on that? And they go like, yeah, yeah, sure. You know, we all, we all come into this thing, you know, but I really want to know what's real. I want to understand the way the world really is. I want to know how things really work here even more than I want to be right. So I'm going to be open to whatever evidence you bring me. Um, and then bring it on. Have you like, have you tried this out and seen like, Hey, this stuff really works?
0: Yes. Yeah, this is... I've, I've actually had conversations of this kind on an ongoing basis for many years, uh, but there's one I'm in the middle of right now with a uh, Catholic theologian, um, a friend from way back who happens to also be a Catholic theologian, and he actually opened the conversation um, with... It's an email exchange that we've now been doing for, gosh, I think it's been three years now. And because we started on that basis... Because we started with that recognition of two things, the shared value of Evidism. We started three years ago, so I wasn't even using that term at that point, but we recognize the shared intention to get it right, to understand the world correctly. And then um, on top of it, to recognize that we are both inclined to mess that process up because of our confirmation bias, that we uh, are each capable of getting in our own ways. Well, from that starting point, you can go forever. Um, there was this, there's this conversation, mutually respectful, but not superficial. Because the other thing I'm not interested in is these walking on eggshells conversations where you're trying not to hurt each other's feelings or anything like that. If you have two people who are really committed to getting good information and figuring the world out and advancing their, their perspective – um, you don't want to do that. It's just a waste of time. And he and I recognized that early on. We've had the really the most wonderful exchange. It's been the most fruitful exchange of this kind that I've ever had. And it has really proceeded, even without using the word evidism. It has really proceeded on the basis of the the values and the ideas that are in that book.
1: That's so you know it's so interesting that you should say that because I, after reading this book, was back east with one of my buddies who um we were both in church together and we're both not so much in church anymore but what's interesting is is that he's become a very conservative republican politically um and i have not and we were we were sort of we always joke about it we talk about it um but we were talking about some stuff with respect to uh the black lives matter movement Mm -hmm. And we, he was quoting things at me and I was quoting things back at him. And we realized that we had two completely different sets of facts yeah, because we were getting two different news sources. And so, but we did exactly this as we said, okay, listen, let's try to like, let's try to find just a few basic facts of these shootings and let's try to like, let's work back and forth until we can get like eight or 10 facts that we agree on, um, Using you know like peer reviewed and this kind of thing, and then let's let's build the conversation on that, and it has become a much better conversation. Yeah. Because before it was all like oh well Fox News, well then if you're going to believe that, and oh well CNN or NPR or whatever, and and you're never really getting to depth. Um, and I mean ours was good natured, but it was still it was a waste of time, and so I wonder if it's you know you know how you said like in a sense, like the, the, it, you almost have to sound Christian in the sense of all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of being, ra- being, being unbiased. Um, like none of us are unbiased. It feels like the, the, the flip of that would be that, that rather than saying that you like rather than saying, I'm an evadist, how about you? It would probably be better if you encountered the other person and said, you know, I have a really strong feeling that you're an evidist. That you believe things on the basis of facts or, or you know evidence that that you're that you want to be right you or that you want to know the truth more than you want to be right isn't that true about you because i feel like it's almost like saying like i believe that you're really shrewd and charming and go like <laughs> well thank you yes I, I i do think that's the case um like that's a compliment yeah to to say to somebody i feel like i feel like you're the you're an evidence. And I feel like it would be fairly easy to have somebody say like, yeah, I am. Oh yeah. And, oh. Uh, and I feel like you have really good reasons that, that probably ev- the things that you believe, whether religiously or politically or in any other area, you believe them for for you know on the basis of good reasons that you've been given. And I think feel like most people would like, say, that's true. Yeah. Oh, it's a great
0: compliment. I, I remember early on when some of my early books came out and people that I had known for years found out that I was an atheist for the first time. I had more than one person say, you're one of the most Christian people I know. (laughs) And I always took that as a compliment because I know what they're saying by that. They're not saying you are one of the people who believes the theological claims of Christianity more than anyone I know. They're talking about behaviors and values in the way that I treat other people. And so the same, just what you said, the idea of saying to someone, I think you're an evidist, when they know what your values are and they recognize that that is one of your highest um, uh, compliments that you can give, they're going to take it in that way. And it's going to be something that um, just thaws the conversation. It just allows uh, things to happen that otherwise uh, wouldn't be possible. It's really the kind of uh, icebreaker um, that can make things possible.
2: Jeff, jump in there. This brings up one of the most uh one of the most important topics of the book. Uh the values and behaviors is so much more important than what you believe in the way of facts. Values and behavior is all of it. Is and we're talking about getting the facts right just so that you can avoid uh false Bases for your values so that you can help get better values and better behaviors. And uh, a lot of the Christian message is about values and behaviors, and we don't need to throw any of that out. Uh, it's just that you don't need to have a belief in God or a belief that Jesus rose from the dead in order to accept those values and to have those desirable behaviors. And so uh, let's not let uh, a false understanding of facts get in the way of helping people develop the best values and behaviors.
1: And, and in a sense, I mean, it's interesting because with, within those values and behaviors, there's a lot of agreement. Um, and and, and I, w- I was looking at your book um, just before we, we, we started talking about it. And the last chapter is how to spread secularism and silence and and i realized oh they're not talking about secularism in the sense of like hey everybody nobody (laughs) believes nobody believes in god like we're going to try to spread that idea that nobody believes in god you're just simply saying like how to spread the idea that the way we as a society should figure things out is on the basis of the scientific method and the evidence that the scientific method brings to us
2: Yes, especially if you're talking about government. Government should make all its decisions based on the the best available facts and not based on any disputed facts. Uh, So secularism has two different meanings, and the way we use the word anybody can be both religious and secular. Of course, the way we use the word religion, you can be an atheist and be religious. You, can, uh, you, you don't need to believe anything about God or about Jesus or Muhammad or uh, Buddha or anybody else. The values is enough to be the, for the basis of religion. You don't have to have disputes about facts to be religious.
1: So, so if, I'm, if I was going to tie this all neatly up in a bun, I would sort of go like, in a sense, you're encouraging people to say, listen, when you encounter people who think differently than you, Confess to your own confirmation biases and 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 do admit like hey, we're all in this boat together we all we all got biases, but 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 then, sort of also sort of say, but you seem like an evidence to me and and define for them like you seem like somebody who cares more about the truth, knowing the truth, and living in reality than you do about being right. um you look like an evidence to me, and i and, and I'm wondering, like you wanna you want to have a conversation on that basis? I'll try to keep up. That's what you're saying. Do that. And you're saying what you don't do is don't come on somebody and say, hey, listen, the way you're thinking, you may not think of it as a religion, but you're you, that's a religion, do on it. And you're going to take that title because I'm sticking it to you. Or if they say, you know, if they say they're not religious, you let them go. And if they say, no, this is my religion, even though it has nothing to do with any of the things that you associate with religion. Let that go, too. You're saying, like, don't get in that argument. Stay on the evidence. Yep. Don't get in the argument about what's a religion That's and what right.
0: isn't. Yep.
1: Do, do, you feel like, do you feel like I get it?
0: I think so. I think that was a really nice nutshell. Uh, you basically don't waste time on things, on definitional questions yeah. that are just going to yeah, yeah. bog down the, the conversation. You set that aside, allow people to use self-define. Defi- use
1: positive definitions yes. to bring you together. Hey, listen, you guys, I, 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 normally I thank people for giving me, for taking the time to talk with me. You guys, I feel like I have to thank three times, like for taking the time to talk with me and then for taking the time to talk with me again, and then for being patient with all my technical difficulties. I really appreciate you guys. Thank you so oh, no much. No problem. Glad to do it. Okay, that was me and Jeff and Dale. And I hope you like that conversation. It, it actually wasn't that easy for me. Um, it's funny because a few weeks ago when we did the show on polyamory, you know, people were saying, you're promoting polyamory. And I'm like, no, I'm just I'm just listening and trying to understand and trying to wrap my head around something that's kind of a, a new part of the conversation in our world. Um, yeah, you know, but I'm, I'm frankly for myself, I'm not that interested in polyamory. Not the least of which is I can barely manage a three-way conversation. I can't imagine a three-way relationship. But uh, I did the best I could. I hope you liked it. I'd love to know what you think. And you know, you can always reach me through bartcampola.org. You can also check out the Patreon page, because as you know, we're in our, we're in sort of a, a push to get to a hundred supporters. At which point we're going to release some 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 new content for those supporters. And uh, mainly, it's just. We're trying to keep this thing going. And it really means a lot to have people, even if it's a buck a month, it really just means a lot to have more people on the team. And so, you, you know, you're on the team if you support us, you're on the team if you listen, you're especially on the team if you share these episodes with people that you think might like them. You know, think about like, what's the humanized episode I liked the best? And then like, if you shared that with three or four people and said, here's a podcast you might want to listen to that could build our listenership. And that could make a lot of things happen. You can also review the show on iTunes. That helps. I'm not sure how, but it, I'm, I'm convinced it does help because all the really fancy podcasters are always pushing, like, please review us on iTunes. And they already know their podcasts are good. So I think somehow it helps algorithmically. And, of course, I want to be algorithmic. So, uh, so those are some ways that you can help. But mainly, you help just by being here. And you help by pursuing goodness together with with the rest of us and by doing it in a kind of an open-hearted way. And so, yeah, thanks for being part of Humanize Me. And we'll be back next time with better audio conditions and another conversation and more good stuff. Until then, rave on. For more on BART, go to bartcampolo.org leave a question in your own voice to be used in future shows, call the Humanize Me Q line at 424-291-2092. That's 424-291-2092. Humanize Me is a production of Jax Media. Hey, you could be larger than life.
2: Oh